Well, good morning, First Church, Hebron Online, Jasper County Jail, and DeMont Wheatfield. Welcome to the first week of our brand new Christmas series called Searching for Christmas. And it is all about searching for the thing we're looking for at Christmas. What are you searching for? I think for many of us, um, when we reflect on Christmases of ages past, there was a nostalgia, there was a joy that was there that for many of us, it's not there. And uh, this series is all about finding that, finding that again. And sometimes I feel like Christmas has some false advertising. Um, There is this thing in old Christmas tradition, some of you have heard of it, it's called Advent. And the Advent season is designed to help you prepare your heart for, you know, the Christmas celebration. And each week there's a different word that we pick. And maybe um, you know these words, but the first week is hope, then joy, or no, then peace, then joy, then love. And uh, some of those words feel awesome. I mean, some of those words like totally connect with the Christmas season. But for me as a kid, the one that I didn't connect with was peace. The peace Christmas word was really tough for me to understand because I didn't feel a lot of peace at Christmas. And I think there's a lot of us, when we really reflect on the Christmas season, it's like one of the more stressful times of year. There's a lot going on. And for a lot of us, there's a lot of angst, anxiety in our hearts. I remember growing up this week of Advent vividly the pastor that I had, his name was Ron Metzger, and he would, um, he was from like, I think Southern Indiana, and he had the biggest Southern accent. It's interesting how when you get south of Indianapolis, all of a sudden you get these big accents, right? Um, but he would always talk about how Jesus was the Prince of Peace. That's what he was for you. And I was a child of the 90s. Um, some of y'all are ch- children of the 90s. I mean, early 90s, slap bracelets, amazing. Do you remember going to Chuck E. Cheese? You'd get one of those slap bracelets. You'd be like, man, this thing is so cool. And the internet wasn't invented yet. It was a simpler time. You remember going to the mall at Christmas? It was so much fun. I mean, the mall was an amazing place to be. Now it's a place to get shot. But when I was a kid, it was amazing, you know? Um, CDs were cutting edge. You remember when those came out? It's like, what kind of deviltry is this? I don't have to rewind. I mean, I don't, there's no needle to work. I just put this in and then it can skip to any track you want or it can just skip, you know, that happened. But uh And then, do you remember um, the Gulf War? It was the first time we could see a war live on TV, and it was shocking, you know, to watch these buildings explode, and it didn't, I remember it didn't feel very peaceful. We went to church that Christmas, it was 1990, or maybe it was 1991, and uh, the second week of Advent, Pastor Ron would always talk about Luke chapter 2. It's the peace passage. You know, the first week was always about Mary, the second week was always about peace, the shepherds in the field. And the angels would appear and say, do not be afraid, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And my pastor, Pastor Ron Metzger, would always say, peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's why Jesus came. And in my heart, I was always like, uh, whoop, whoop, uh, (laughs) doesn't, doesn't feel very peaceful, you know? I mean, even today, let's talk about that, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Well, we got war in Ukraine. You know, former atheist Russia attacking Ukraine. We got war in Africa. It looks like Rwanda and Congo are going to war again. Rumors of genocide and horrible things happening. We've got, you know, war in Israel, Hamas terrorists evilly attacking civilians there. Horrible, horrible, horrible. China, you know, committing genocide against the Uyghurs. And then now they might invade Taiwan. Xi Jinping, you know, the premier of China doing terrible things. And Venezuela might uh, try to attack Guyana. Lots of us are like, God, where is, where is the peace? This is a very war-filled time in history. And even back in then, back then, you know, Pastor Ron would say, peace on earth. And I'd be like, are you sure? You know, I'm not super mathematically inclined for a Japanese boy, but I don't need my abacus and some chicken teriyaki to tell that it's been 1,991 years since 
Jesus came and announced peace on earth, since the angel said that. It's like, where's the peace? 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, I would understand that. But almost two millennia, we still don't have peace, Jesus? Like, what happened? Seems like there's something defective with that declaration. I mean, even as he was talking that year, I was like, there's a storm going on in the desert. In my church growing up, you could, you can't do this here. Don't try this here. But in my church, a small church, like 50 people was a big Sunday. And in my church, and some of y'all had churches like this too, you could raise your hand and ask a question mid-sermon, right? And uh, pastor is talking about peace on earth, goodwill to men. And I'd be like, whoop, whoop. You know, I'd raise my hand, you know, little bifocals, Japanese boy, uh, pastor, uh, pastor, right? And uh, Luke 21, 9a, it says, but pastor, what about But when ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass. What about that, pastor? And my pastor would always look at me, and he would always say, John, I'm so glad you're here. And I always thought that he meant that. You know what I mean? As a kid, I thought, oh, he's glad that I'm here. I'm glad I'm here too. You know, everybody likes me. It would take a few years, middle school really, where I learned that nobody liked me, but you know, at least nobody likes know-it-all, right? Um, but he would say, I'm so glad you're here. Jesus wasn't talking about a political peace. He was talking about personal relationships. Jesus brings peace to personal relationships. And I'd be like, oh, Mr. Pastor Man, that's so great. And I hate to be a bother. And that does sort of make sense to me. But <laughs> this passage is so funny to me. But, and this happened. But I was like, but what about, uh, what about Luke 12, 49, where Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, says, I have come, <laughs> can you believe I did this? I have come to set the world on fire and I wish it were already burning. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me, and I'm under a heavy burden <laughs> until it's accomplished. <laughs> Yikes. Do you think, and this is the part where I was like, Pastor, this is the part where I, I kind of think that Jesus did come for peace on earth, because Jesus says, do you think that I've come to bring peace on earth? No. You know what I mean? Like, that's that part where it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, because Jesus says, I do you think I've come to bring peace on earth? No. You know what I mean? Like, what is, what, how, do you, how do you reconcile? And then he says, uh, I have come to divide people against each other. From now on, families will be split apart, three in favor of me, two against, or two in favor and three against. It's like, you know, personal relationships, pastor, doesn't seem, doesn't seem quite right. You know what I mean? It seems like there's so. And I think the biggest context clue is where Jesus Christ says, I have come to set the world on fire and I wish it were already burning. You know what I mean? Like, and it was just crickets in the room. And everybody in the room was like, what, what is going on? And my pastor took his cloth and, you know, dab, dab, dab. Remember that? The dab, dab, dab? This passage was true for my family. You know, when we would get together for our Christmas celebration, my extended family on my mom's side's Buddhist and on my dad's side is mostly atheist. You know, my parents were Christian, but we would gather together and it was, it was full of conflict. It was not peace on earth. And I remember when he would say that, I didn't feel very peaceful. In fact, I felt dread because, you know, my aunts and uncles, they were, they were nice for non-religious people. And you know what I mean by that. There's, it's, I've encountered a lot of people far from God, and it's not nice. There was a lot of sanctimony and arrogance. And just as I grow up and think about it, reflect on what it was, it was blatant disrespect for what we believed, scoffing at our belief. It wasn't peaceful. And I bet some of you are headed to some similar celebrations. You're about to sit down at these tables, and you're wondering... Where is this peace on earth, goodwill to men? Where's it at? And to start with, the answer is a little bit nerdy. 
Some of you may have noticed that I am speaking out of what's called the King James Version of the Bible. And that's what many of you grew up with. It was originally translated by King James in 1611. And um, it was a great translation from the original Greek uh, for 412 years ago. But Greek's a complicated language, believe me. In seminary, I had a tough time with it. But in Greek, they have a whole different dimension of expressing meaning with nouns. And some of you care, some of you don't. It's called declensions. Um, let me just push my bifocals up a second. And uh, they translated the noun for goodwill and the technical word for it is as accusative instead of dative, which doesn't make a difference to you, but here's, here's the difference. Um, instead of saying peace on earth, goodwill to men, what it should have said was literally um, peace toward men whom God has goodwill. Because there's an association with the goodwill and who it's oriented towards. The New Living Translation, the one we usually use in church, says it this way, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And that's every other modern translation. The ESV, the NASB, the NLT, the, uh, the NIV, they all put it this way. Because here's the truth. The peace is not on earth to all men. It's not a political peace. It's not a peace with family members. The peace that the angels declared is peace with God for people who will become Christians. That's the literal, direct translation. And Jesus came to bring peace, not to everyone, not to the whole world, but to all the people who will become Christians. That's Jesus's declarative peace. That's what the angels heralded on the day that they came and spoke to the shepherds. And that's what Christmas is about. Jesus's birth unlocked peace with God. And that's an amazing thing to think about. I wanna talk about what that means today. And listen, if you struggle a little bit with peace at Christmas, um, I wanna help you find it today. Because the angels were not wrong. Peace is available to all who seek God. If you seek God, he will answer. And I wanna help you find that peace. If you struggle with questions about peace today, if you struggle with anxiety, I, want you to, I wanna help you find that peace. Even if you're not a Christian, I think there'll be help in today's message. And what we're gonna do is we already looked at some Bible, um, but then I'm gonna tell a story and then I'm gonna make some points. But let's start with the story. On Sunday nights, I have really weird sleep and it's all my fault. I make terrible choices and that's why I have weird sleep on Sunday night. Um, so when you speak publicly, your body releases um, two to five adrenaline shots every 10 minutes. You know, so over the course of a message, I can release a lot of adrenaline into my body. Not only that, but every Sunday morning, I drink four shots of espresso. Good choices? No. Is it what I do? Yes, okay? Now, um, I don't drink caffeine any other day of the week because I want it to be super effective on Sunday. I want to drink that caffeine, have it be fresh. You should try this, okay? You should starve yourself of caffeine and then one day a week drink it. You will, trust me, you'll feel it. It's a big deal, okay? Sunday night, I go to sleep. All that adrenaline, all that caffeine, I have some gnarly dreams. I'm talking like weird, fitful, crazy dreams. And um, let me give you some background on this dream. My wife, when she went to her old church, was famously beautiful. She had Riz, okay? All the guys were seeking her out all the time. And she was famous for friend zoning guys. And this is what she said. She said, um, I'm not interested in dating right now, right? That's what she'd say. To, I'm not interested in dating right now. Every guy was asking Kristen out. Now, here's the thing. I know what that means, okay? There's a word that's dropped out of there, okay? In the original translation of women, what it actually means is I'm not interested in dating you right now. You know what I mean? That's that, I knew that's what it was. Like, I heard her say that, and I was like, it's not that she's not interested in dating, it's just them. I know the door is open. And I remember meeting her, and within seconds of talking to her, I, I thought, I'm gonna marry that girl. Like, I see what the hype is about. Hello, you know, please be single, right? So anyway, after our first conversation, I called five people. I said, I met the woman I'm gonna marry. 
Like, it's done. I'm, it's over. I met, I met her, my five closest friends. I called them up, said, it's over. And uh, I was direct with her. I got her number, and I called her up, and I immediately said, Kristen, I'm not going to lie to you. I'd like to take you on a date, not as a friend, but a date, because I did not want to get friend zoned. I was super clear, like, very, whatever. Six months later, we were married. True story, okay? So I went to sleep Sunday night, and I dreamed that Kristen and I were on a date, but we were hanging out with some new friends. Terrible decision. Don't take a girl on a date and hang out with friends. You go one-on-one, you know, you get to know her, whatever else. Terrible decision. Took her out with these friends in my dream. In my dream, we weren't married. In my dream, we didn't have kids yet. It was early in our relationship, and I was in love. I was in love, right? So we hang out with these friends. I can't wait to get alone with her afterwards and talk with her, get to know her more. And we left, and um, she says, John, I just had the best time talking with that guy. He was such a good conversationalist. He asked me on a date and I'm gonna go out with him tonight and I wanted to know as my friend, what do you think of him? Have you ever almost fell off a cliff? You know what I mean? Just, ah, in my dream, it was like, ah, ah, ah. it was a nightmare. I mean, I had gotten friend zoned without realizing I had gotten friend zoned. It was, it was terrible, it was a nightmare. Have you ever had a dream about your spouse where you wake up mad? You know what I mean? Like you wake up mad at her. I mean, it's not fair. It's not reasonable. I wake up and I, I mean, I am angry. I'm upset. I'm anxious. I mean, my heart is, uh, and here's the thing. Um, I had twisting anxiety in my chest where I could hardly breathe. And um, I have struggled for a lot of my life with something called panic attacks. And uh, because of a lot of counseling and God's grace, I've learned how to control them, right? I knew what to do. I knew the things I needed to do, but I mean, I was headed in that direction. It was real. My chest couldn't breathe. uh, And um, I wonder about that intense feeling. Have you ever had that? You know, a lot of times it's just rooted in, in this need to take action when you can't take action. For me, that's where a lot of my anxiety comes from. I need to do something right now, but there's nothing that I can do. And I'm just going around and I'm ruminating and whatever. And what do you do? And I can't take action right now. I'm replaying conversations. You know, I'm replaying this conversation I had in my dream that didn't actually take place. I'm mad at my wife. You know, I was thinking about that feeling of anxiety this week. And for a lot of my life, that anxiety hadn't been as intense but it's been there. You know, just that underlying anxiousness where it's like there's something you need to do, there's something you need to take action on. I wonder how many of you feel that way. You're in this Christmas season and you have this anxiety and I think at the root of it is a fear that someone is not okay with you. You know, I think that's what anxiety is. It's, it's, it's a relationship not being right with people. That's the root of anxiety in my life. I talked with a lot of people this week, and I really do think for most of us, that's what our anxiety is rooted in. There's somebody who's upset. There's somebody who's not okay. My anxiety came from my relationship with Kristen not being all right. You know, on social media, the thing that draws us back, according to social researchers, the thing that we get addicted to isn't the likes. You know, originally, oh, it's a dopamine hit from the likes. No, it's not the likes. It's who didn't like. It's who didn't approve. It's who didn't notice. That's what drives you into it. That's what, it's amazing, you know, when you get 100 likes and you get one angry face, what are you attracted to? The angry face. What's wrong? How could they do it? How could they leave an angry face on this post of whatever? How dare they? What could they? And you get in there, you know? You go into Hebron Chatter, you go into DeMott Wheatfield Unoriginal and whatever, and you're like, what is wrong with You know? Psychologists say that's the addictive thing. It's that need for approval from the people who don't approve. You know, I can get 10 nice emails, and I get one angry email. And what's the one that ends up in your mind? What's the one that you ruminate? What's the thing, and you're just thinking, and ooh, they said this thing about me. Can you believe it? This person I don't know and have never met and has really only been to our church one time said that they think I talk too fast. This is the hardest thing I've ever had to do. I hate my life, right? 
interesting to think about what the opposite of peace is. A lot of people think the opposite of peace is war. But I don't think war is the opposite of peace. I think that's a reaction to the opposite of peace. I think the true opposite of peace is anxiety. It's anxiety. And the reaction to our anxiety can be anger, it can be war, it can be depression, it can be numbing yourself, it can be shutting down, it can be running away, it can be fighting, but the root of all these things is anxiety from a relationship not being okay. Have you ever noticed that it seems odd that most people who don't believe in God hate God? I always found that odd. You'd think my extended family would just ignore God. They're atheists. They don't have any belief. Like, if you want to believe that, that's fine. If you want to waste your life believing in God, that's fine. That's what I think they do. They didn't hate other religions. It always shocked me. It's like they were, they were almost pro-Muslim, which is odd with their belief set. I mean, Muslim is a religion that's generally quite oppressive to women and children and slavery and all these things. You look at the history, very problematic. They were fine with these religions that were built around a false god. But people who didn't believe in the Christian God, it's not that they didn't care. It's not that they had apathy. That's what would make sense. But they had resentment and hatred towards our faith because they had a broken relationship with a true being, the living God, right? They act like they didn't believe, but if they just didn't believe, they wouldn't hate. They would just have apathy, but they do hate because their unbelief is really just a mask for a broken relationship with the living God. You know, in, in our society today, in secular American society, you can kind of do whatever you want. If you want to change your gender, go for it. Society will applaud you, give you medals, if you want to ignore science and data, go for it. Do it. We'll apply. If you want to do anything you want, even if it hurts others, go for it. Do it. But if you want to be a Christian, the most generous, emancipating movement in world history is a matter of historical fact. Society will ridicule you and hate you. I was talking with Kwame McGee. He's our Hebron youth director. Some of you guys don't know him because he works at Hebron, but he is just the nicest guy. We love Kwame. You know, he is charismatic and great dude, but he worked at Target Corporation before he came to work for us. And he said, he was talking with me this week. He's like, yeah, Pastor, you wouldn't believe when I worked at Target, I mean, I was hated. It's like, how could anyone hate you? He said, I was hated because I was a Christian, because I wore a Christian t-shirt to work a few times. I mean, people hated me. They hated me. They said, and the things he told me, they said, I, I like couldn't believe it, did not compute. I can't repeat on the stage. It was shocking. But... People who reject God, they claim to not believe, but it's not unbelief. It's an underlying anxiety because of a broken relationship that often does manifest in hatred. Why is wokeness so anxious and fanatical about hating the things of God? Why? It doesn't really make sense. Because they're anxious about a broken relationship with God. Progressivism, all of it. There's a broken relationship with God. I've probably done 100 funerals in my 20 years of ministry and Whenever I do one for an atheist family, I'm always surprised at how much anxiety that accompanies this funeral. You know, you would think with your belief set, I mean, they lived a life, he's 90 years old, lived a long life, died, they've ceased to exist. Like it's done, just move on, live your life. If that, that's what your belief system would lead to. But there's always anxiety, upsetness. Like we didn't see this coming. It's like, I mean, I, I saw it coming. You know what I mean? Like we know this is gonna happen to all of us. I think when secular society rejects God, there's an anxiety because they have a broken relationship with God. And I think this is why Charles Wesley's 1739 masterpiece, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, is such a great hit hymn for Christmas. 284 years later, I mean, we still sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Why? What line is it that makes that hymn so incredibly permeating in our hearts? It's peace on earth and mercy mild, 
God and sin are reconciled. And it's pretty interesting that he got it right. I mean, the King James Version got it wrong, but Charles Wesley nailed it. That's what Christmas is about. Jesus came to bring peace upon the people who respond to his grace because a relationship with God that was broken through Jesus is repaired. You don't have to sit and wonder. Things are okay. The anxiety is gone. The uncertainty is gone. You can have peace with God. That's Christmas. But how did Jesus make this peace? How did it come to us? A lot of you are like, okay, I hear about the peace. I sort of believe in God. Like I wanna have this thing, this Christianity in my life, but I don't feel the peace. How do I get it? And the Bible actually lays out three clear steps for you to achieve peace with God. And the first two steps are actually steps that God takes. You only have to take one step. God does the other two steps, but this is pretty cool. The first step to peace with God begins with sacrifice, sacrifice. Think about it this way. War does not end, it does not turn to peace without sacrifice. Go to Arlington National Cemetery. Go to the beaches of Normandy where men gave their lives so that we could have peace. All of that, all that, anxiety, all that broken relationship with Axis powers, it was only healed through sacrifice. Now, um, Jesus came to sacrifice. Some of you know this. And I'm not going to attempt to explain the Trinity or the triune God super clearly today, but many people often wonder and ask me, are Jesus and God different or the same? And the answer technically is yes. But... Um, Jesus is God in the flesh. And God had conflict with humanity because we sinned against him. Now, rather than dealing with his righteous anger, hurt, and wrath by taking it out on us, he dealt with it himself by taking it out on Jesus. And I know that that sounds odd. That was a big barrier to me becoming a Christian. I just thought it doesn't make sense. But that's the foundation of every reconciled relationship. Let me give you a story about it in my own life. Years ago on a Sunday afternoon, I was put in charge of taking care of my then two and a half year old son, Eldon. And um, <clears throat> Sunday afternoon is not a good time for me to stay awake. You know what I mean? Like the adrenaline, the, the caffeine, whatever. I mean, there's just a lot of odd things happening. Like I can fall asleep mid-sentence. So I started reading to him and I just fell asleep mid-sentence while reading while I had a actual human raccoon sitting on my chest. And he's like, jailbreak, baby. So he climbs off my chest and he goes into the bathroom and he climbs up the back of this, this, you'll see this chair in the video, but it was an extremely like tippy precarious chair. He stands on the very top of the backrest, opens up a cabinet and on the top shelf of the cabinet, there was a jar of Vaseline. Okay, not good. Go ahead and play that video. Did you get into a full bottle of Vaseline while you were napping? Oh my goodness gracious. Now put up that picture of his face. That is the face of a baby who knew he'd done messed up, right? I mean, he knew, and that is the face of anxiety. And I, you know, I love children because they're not good at hiding what they feel. How many of us, you don't need to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of us today have that feeling in our heart. You look at life and it's just, you look at relationships and it's, you look at the future and the things you gotta deal with and aging parents and kids and reasons and things and business and, and sons and daughters and all the things of life and it's just, there's anxiety because there's struggling relationships. You know, my son knew he done messed up. You can see the Vaseline on the side of his head right there. You can see it on his face. You can see it caked in his ears. It was just really special. There's nothing he could do to fix that. You know, I mean, he couldn't wash his face he couldn't clean it up. He didn't have the dexterity. The only solution, even though justice would be, I mean, he did it, you know? He went and got, he knew he shouldn't do that. I mean, he's two and a half. He can know better than to do that. Knew immediately. I didn't even have to yell at him. He just knew he done messed up. I had to die to myself. 
I mean, I had to sacrifice. I had to take out my wrath and anger that should have been pointed at him. I'd take it out on myself. That was it. To reconcile, all I could do was just forgive him and sacrifice myself. And I want you to get this. That's what God does to us through Jesus. He came to fix a broken relationship. The world is anxious and upset. I think a lot of us are like Eldon in the tub. We're broken. We're anxious. We know that our life has gotten messy through sin. I think everybody knows this. You know, and you can respond to this in a number of different ways. You can respond to it in anger, denial. You can lie to yourself. Do you know people who do that? They just lie to themselves and they say, how dare you? You know, how could you? And it's funny, they're so defensive. My family, so defensive. How could you say that the world is sinful? Whatever and blah, blah, blah. There's not peace in our hearts. And here's the thing, and this is, at the end of the day, um, and I say this a lot, and I want you to understand, this is a statistic that is 100% accurate. A lot of research and data has gone into this. The death rate hovers at around 100%. We're all gonna die. And we all try to avoid it, and we all hear these things, and we're all worried about it, but we are going to die. We are gonna meet our maker. If we didn't die, if we didn't have illness, why would we come to church? We all know we have this fundamental anxiety because we are gonna meet God Almighty, and if our relationship isn't right with him, man, there's anxiety. And I think this is why people far from God don't like God, because they know it's not okay. So their response is anger. But Jesus brought peace, and he brought that peace through sacrifice, took it upon himself to clean up the mess. After sacrifice comes invitation. You know, um, I sacrificed my own time, effort, emotions, even my identity for my children. You know, those of you who have kids, say goodbye to your identity. Who are you? I don't know anymore. You know what I mean? Like everything you love and hold dear is gone when you have kids. You die to yourself. I sacrificed everything, all my rage to love my son, and I pursued him. You know what's interesting? And those of you who've had kids, you kind of know, um, sometimes your kids, even though they're in the wrong, will not receive your grace. You ever had that happen? You love the kid, but their heart's hard, and they're like, no, you know, and what is it? They're afraid to trust the grace. They're afraid to receive it. There's a part of their heart, you know, they don't, and I was pursuing, and I was inviting my son, but, but he was holding me at arm's length. This is what God does through a third part of himself. There's God the Father, there's God the Son, there's this third part of God called God the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is this part of God that's inviting you into relationship with him. In fact, the whole world, God is pursuing them, it's that pull on your heart that's always there. The Holy Spirit, by the way, can feel annoying, irritating, aggravating, and angering until you listen to it. When I'm inviting Eldon into a relationship with me, when he's wronged me, sometimes he's, ear, don't touch me, daddy. You ever had a kid say that? Don't touch, I don't want your hugs. You ever have a kid say that? It's like, I gave life to you. You know what I mean? Like what is, but they don't want it. Even though I'm trying to bless them, even though I'm trying to love them, they don't want it. Eventually, he receives my invitation and he and I are both greatly blessed. And the anxiety this face is replaced with this face. What is it? What is that new face? It's peace. It's peace in his heart. And the role of the Holy Spirit of God, it's that still small voice that's knocking on the door of your heart, inviting you into relationship with him. The Holy Spirit shows, you, shows up in signs that you ask for and inconvenient coincidences. It's that nagging realization that something doesn't come from nothing. I mean, that was in my heart and that was the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of my heart. You can't ignore this. I mean, there's that anxiety that's even people far from God, we all have it in our heart because we know that God's real. We can ignore it as much as we want, but it's, it's there. And when you say yes to that invitation, you are reconciled to God and find peace with God. And that's the last part of the process. Part number three is saying yes to the invitation. Peace on earth and mercy mild, for God and sinner are reconciled. 
When we say, God, I receive your grace. Thank you for pursuing me. I wanna ask you, do you remember where you were when that happened for you? I mean, I remember wanting to believe in God, being around church. I mean, the devil believed in God, but a relationship with God. I mean, Christianity really begins when you receive God's grace in your life. My extended family was atheists and Buddhists. My parents were Christian. I didn't know what I would be. I didn't know what to do. But in my heart, I knew that something doesn't come from nothing. And I had this anxiety that I dealt with for a long time about what am I gonna do about God? What am I gonna believe? I don't know where I'm gonna go. I was kind of on both sides of the fence. And at Teens for Christ camp when I was 15 years old, I said, Jesus, I receive your grace. I'm all in. Like, I'm for you. I'm following you. I want you to be my leader and forgiver. You have cleaned up my mess and I receive your grace. And I have peace with God. Now, I wanna be clear, that peace with God happens in a moment, but it's also an unfolding process. Christians call it sanctification. You're justified, you're made right with God in a moment, but there's this process of growth that happens in your life where God shows you morning by morning new mercies, new ways that he's been showing you his grace. For me, I remember in college, there was this girl that I was dating that was dating that was sort of Christian. You ever done that? She said a lot of the right things. You know, she seemed kind of sort of like a Christian. She was sort of kind of good match. And you know, I mean, nobody's felt love like we felt, oh my goodness, you know, we were so and whatever. And um, I knew she wasn't right, right? I wanted to go into a life of ministry and she was definitely not pastor wife material. You know, and she seemed okay, but there were some issues and she just had a different trajectory in her life. She wanted to do something else. I wanted, and we were, you know, this is what our lives look like. There was just a brief moment of intersection. And I had this anxiety because I was rebelling against God. I knew it wasn't right. And the day I dropped her, like third period French, praise God, I found peace with God. I don't know about you, but I bet there's a, a lot of you in your, here today hearing my voice who are dealing with an area of your life where you're rebelling with God. And even though you're a Christian, even though you've been following God for a long time, when you say, God, I trust you in this area, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased, that's a gift that he has for you. When you trust him with every area in your life, almost a decade after Ron Metzger taught about peace on earth, I finally had it. God's favor began to rest on me. I was delivered and free, and I found peace. And look, it's still an area of my life where God's spirit continually shows me new areas where I can trust him, you know, his area, his plan for marriage, his plan for relationships, his plan for finances, his plan, every area of my life, God just continues to reveal new areas where I need to trust him, where a relationship has been broken, where his sacrifice has brought grace into my life. But after we find peace with God, God gives us a new mission in life. And many people call this the most important passage in the Bible. John 13, 34 talks about it. It says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. And this commandment, it's, it's one verse that replaced all other verses. You know, this commandment replaced the 10 commandments. This commandment superseded everything else. This is the new covenant, the new commandment. Now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I've loved you. So you should love each other. We love the world the way that God loved us. You know, in this Christmas, I think there's a lot of us, we have peace with God, but we still have anxiety because we're not loving the world the way that God first loved us. There's all these broken relationships in our life where we have this anxiety and, you know, God pursued, he sacrificed, he pursued, he invited, we received, it was grace, it was good. But then in our life, we have all these different areas where we need to sacrifice, where we need to pursue, even when we are rejected. The Peace Week of Advent for me is one of the best ways I know of for Christians to find Christmas. 
It's a reminder to me to search my heart for peace and think, where don't I have it? The Holy Spirit of God lives within me and constantly shows me the places in my life where I have anxiety. I wanna ask you three questions that are gonna help you put wheels on this message because I don't want you to come to church and learn. I don't want you to come and say that was interesting or be entertained. I want the gospel of Jesus to transform the way that we live, right? Tangible action. So I have three questions for you. Number one, where in your heart are you missing peace? And I know right now God's spirit is convicting some of us, opening up our minds and hearts, areas in our life. We know, oh man, like here's this area, uh-oh. <laughs> and I want you to know in the name of Jesus, you don't have to live like my son Eldon's face showed with anxiety. <laughs> what relationships in your life are full of anxiety? And I know God's spirit is bringing to your mind, man, here's my daughter, here's, my, here's this thing, here's this issue. And right now God is showing us these things. What can you do to love in the same way that God first loved you? What can you do? Where is God doing this? And I think these three questions are powerful. I hope you discuss them on the way home. Fathers, sons, daughters, mothers, I hope you lead your family in some discussion about these things. I want this message to enable us to truly experience peace. The week of Advent, searching for Christmas, it's not just something we do because it's good tradition. We do it because it really is the gospel of Jesus in our life. I want us to think, what can we do to experience the peace of God that the angels spoke of in Luke chapter two? And I think the most important question I wanna ask you today, my fourth one, I saved it, it's separate, it's its own thing, is do you have peace with God? There are some of you here, you realize, man, I don't have peace with God. Maybe I was following God a long time ago, maybe I've never followed God, but right now in my life, I know that I am rebelling against the plan of God. Today, what if you said, God, I receive your grace. My heart, my life is yours. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinner reconciled. It's the peace of Christmas. It's the purpose of Christmas. Maybe you've been coming here for weeks, months, years. I don't know what it is. But what if today you said, Jesus, I receive your grace. I love Revelation 3.20. It's a verse that I think is about the Holy Spirit. It says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, open the door and I'll come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. I believe that the Holy Spirit of God knocks on the door of our hearts. And some of you, you know it, you feel it. What if today you said, Jesus, I receive your grace? That's what Christmas is about. As we close, I wanna ask you at Hebron Online, Jasper County Jail, DeMont Wheatfield, please stand to your feet and let me pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you offer us peace at Christmas. Peace on earth and goodwill will to people on earth whom God has chosen. Lord, may we walk into your grace humbly, totally, fully. Holy Spirit, fall afresh on us and show us the places in our life where we've been running from you. And today, we just choose to turn to you. We choose to receive your grace, God. Open up our minds and hearts, the places in our life where we're not loving the way you first loved us. God, we resolve to be people who receive peace and people who give it. Thank you for your example and your grace and your mercy in our lives. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said amen and amen.